Good evening. If you have your if you have your Bibles or your worship guides, I'd like you to uh, turn with me to John chapter nine, and I'd like to ask you also to stand if you're able, as we uh, hear God's word together. John nine verses one to seventeen. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. When no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not, man, not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him to the Pharisees. They they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. You may be seated. Thus concludes the reading of God's word. Um, Join me in prayer as we ask for God's help understanding this passage. Heavenly Father, You are the giver of sight. Lord, help us to see uh, more clearly your word and your son. Lord, overcome our blindness and weakness due to sin and help us to see by your spirit, we pray. Amen. A uh, a couple weeks ago, I was reading a, a sports article. It was about a football player who had undergone tremendous suffering unimaginable suffering. He, in the span of a few months, had lost both of his parents at the age of 21. His first parent that died was his father, who died of unexpectedly a heart attack. And a few months later, his mother passed um, due to cancer. And so here, there's this young man, 21 years old, no parents, both died. 
The story doesn't end there, though. Two months after, or two days after his mother's funeral, he found out that he himself had cancer. And he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, and so he had to undergo treatment. But I th- the, the, most imp- the most interesting thing to me, reading this article, was how the author of the article made sense of this suffering. And the, the reasons for hope that the author gave for this young man amidst this terrible suffering. And, you know, it, it, was, it was almost not comical, but, but just sad to see the, 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 the reasons for hope that this young man would have. First of all, they couldn't make sense of this man's suffering. Um, it just didn't make sense to them. It didn't fit. Um, it didn't f- fit with what they saw uh, happening in the world. They said, you know, this is a, this is a, uh, uh, you know, innocent young man. How, does this, how is this happening to him? And the, and the reasons for hope that they gave was, you know, at least your testicular cancer is, seems to be under control. Um, at least you still have football. At least you can play the sport that you love. Um, and, the, and the most important thing that they brought up was that um, at least he's surrounded by teammates who, who really care about him. And, um, and I, I don't know about you guys, but I've had a lot of great teammates in my life, but their comfort wouldn't make things okay. Um, amidst this kind of suffering. Um, This suffering that we can call seemingly senseless suffering. Um, There's got to be something more than these these responses to suffering. And, And when we come to John 9, we really do see a man who is undergoing what seems to be senseless suffering. And we really see in this man ourselves. And we see a beautiful picture of the gospel and of God working in our own hearts. And so when we look at this passage, the good news is amongst seemingly senseless suffering, this passage shows us that there is hope, that there is comfort, and there is purpose. And so the the, the main theme that I want to focus on, the thesis, is this. Because Jesus, the light of the world, has taken us out of darkness, we can trust him even in the midst of seemingly senseless suffering. Let me repeat that. Because Jesus, the light of the world, has taken us out of darkness, we can trust him even in the midst of seemingly senseless suffering. And we'll be looking at this in two points, really problem and solution. What is... What is this man born blind's problem? And what is our problem? And then point two, what is this man's solution? And what is our solution to our blindness and suffering? So point one, the problem of blindness and suffering. What is this man's problem? Well, that's really the, the question that the, this, the disciples ask, isn't it? Um, Jesus, what is, what is this guy's deal? Why is he like this? Um, and really, they're, it's, it's out of curiosity. They're wondering, 
you know, they ask the question, they ask a theological question, who sinned, this man or his parents? Basically, whose fault is it that he's like this? They understand that sin um, leads to suffering. That's a given for them. But they want to know whose sin it was. And so that's the question they ask. And, and that might seem like kind of a ridiculous question for us. Um, might seem like a strange question. But the disciples had a working theology of sin and suffering. They, their understanding of sin and suffering is that sin and suffering are connected in a direct cause and effect relationship. And so if you're experiencing suffering, you can trace it back to a specific sin. And um, the cultural assumptions of the day uh, supported that. The, the, uh, and, and there's also uh, biblical uh, seemingly biblical evidence to support this. Um, in the Old Testament, um, generations um, are, are judged uh, you know, years after the sins of their parents and their forefathers. And uh, we even see that in the Old Testament in particular, blindness is actually a uh, sort of related to being cursed, and curse is uh, because being cursed is be- a result of sin. And we can go on and find other passages as well. And perhaps uh, the disciples are remembering back to John chapter 5, where Jesus heals the paralytic, and he tells the paralytic, Go and sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The disciples are really here reflecting the theology of the friends of Job. You remember the friends of Job. Um, Job had suffered this tremendous suffering. Um, he'd lost his family, his possessions, his health. And his friends come to him and, and counsel him. And they, really, their, their counsel is, Job, you, this has got to be related to your sin. There's just no other explanation for it. Um, we do the same thing today, actually. We, when we experience suffering, sometimes we ask, what did, I, what did I do wrong to deserve this? We might ask, you know, am I not in God's will? Or am I, uh, do I not have faith? Or do I have some unconfessed sin in my life that uh, is, a re- is, a result of, uh, is resulting in this suffering? So the disciples' question is actually a good one. Um, considering their understanding of sin and suffering. But what is Jesus' answer? It's interesting. He doesn't really entertain the question or the curiosity of the disciples. What does he say? He says, he says, neither. Basically, neither. This man, nor his parents. But he says, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is saying here, you guys are asking the wrong question. Um, You want to go back and and, and look for a a specific cause for this sin, when instead you should be looking forward to the purpose, God's purposes amongst the suffering. So he said, forget about the cause. God does not give that to you, but whatever you do, don't miss 
the work of God in this. This man suffered. Uh, He was in perpetual darkness uh, as a blind man. He is never seen. Um, And in that day, uh, in Jewish society, he would have been at the very uh, bottom of the totem pole of society. He would have been, and think about it, he would have been solely um, sustained. He would have... his sole survival base, is based on the generosity of others. Other people giving him food or giving him money. He's a beggar. Um, his existence is dependent upon others. He can't actually provide for himself. This is a man who knew suffering, knew loneliness, and weakness. So that's, that's really this man's problem. He's... Obviously blind, we're told that. And, um, you know, he has this suffering because of that blindness. Well, like the blind man, we also have a problem, don't we? We also uh, suffer from blindness. Uh, All of us, like the man born blind, we were born blind with sin. Many of us can remember a time when we were completely spiritually blind, where there was no hint of of light, utter darkness. Um, When I was living in Hawaii, my favorite thing to do was to go spearfishing. And um, it's basically snorkeling with a spear. And you always do it at day, during the day, so you can see, obviously, underwater. But one of my friends had the bright idea of going at night. And um, I agreed to go. And uh, so you have a little underwater flashlight that you shine. You have the flashlight in one hand and then the spear in the other, and you're just looking around. It's just dark. But I had, just out of curiosity, I wanted to see, hey, what would it, I wonder how dark it would be if I just turn off my light. So I... I did that, I turned off the light, and it was terrifying. It was just being in that water in utter darkness. Um, you can't see anything, pitch black. Um, and I quickly turned back the light on because uh, was, it was so terrifying. Um, and that's the darkest moment I've ever experienced physically. Um, but that's the kind of darkness that we're born into spiritual darkness, a hopeless darkness, um, and, and all men have, were born into that darkness. What's surprising, though, and, and I, as we're reading through this story, um, one of the striking things is that here is a blind man who's healed, and at the end of the, the passage that we're reading here, he can now see. But it seems like right when he can see, everyone else is blind. And it's just striking. If we look at verses 8 and 9, we see the neighbors, and some think that this is the blind man speaking to them. But others, they think that uh, this isn't him. They think it's actually more reasonable to believe that the guy who used to sit here and beg uh, had somehow disappeared 
and that the guy standing before them is a different guy that just happened to look exactly like the guy that disappeared wearing the same clothes. They found that easier to believe. Um, it's just, it's, it's blindness. Um, it's, it's a spiritual blindness. They, they cannot see that this, they, they are unwilling to accept that this man was healed. And they instead think it's easier to believe this is somebody else. And then what happens? After that, they take him to the, to the Pharisees. And we see even more blindness, even a darker blindness, right? Where they say, we know, you're, you, know, we know you weren't healed. Tell, or if you were healed, tell us really how you were healed because this man is not from God. This Jesus is not from God um, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Um, it's, again, blindness. And we, at times, are like the Pharisees and the neighbors. We don't readily look to Christ or acknowledge him in our time of need when we should be trusting him. We instead trust in our own strength and our own abilities or the abilities of others or the comfort of others instead of him. And so we, even as believers, we struggle with spiritual blindness we are often blinded by our own sin. When we sin, we are really blind, blinded to the holiness of God. And we forget, really, the promises of the gospel. And, and really what we're struggling with is, is spiritual amnesia. We keep forgetting. We need to be reminded over and over and over. So that's our problem. Our problem is a spiritual blindness. Um, and really, we're dealing with the blindness effects of sin. And just like the blind man, we also suffer. Um, as a congregation, we suffer in many ways. Um, some of us uh, suffer with the struggle with sin and addictions. And these all-too-familiar sins that are always entangling and ensnaring us. And we wonder if we can ever break free. Others of us struggle with financial hardship and wondering if the feeling of helplessness will ever go away. Um, Wondering where the next meal is going to come from. Um, Others of us struggle with, uh, suffer with uh, the by the sins of others and have been hurt in relationships, um, friendships. People have betrayed us. Others of us suffer from loneliness, anxiety, depression, wondering if this life is even worth living. And yet others, from, from tragedies from, and from physical afflictions, some nagging, some that keep coming up, some that are quite serious that have us really cause us to question the future and if God is really in control. It's times like this, times like these, that even though we walk outside and the sun is shining on our face, all we can see is dark. And we throw our hands up and we ask, why me? Why has this happened to me, God? We ask, 
is there really hope? Is there really hope in this situation? And that really is a question that would have been familiar to this blind man sitting there on the street wondering, is this really a way to live? What kind of life is this? Um, Is there any hope in my situation? And that's when Jesus, at that point, tells his disciples that his suffering is not in vain. And to not miss out on the work that he's about to do in this man's life. So that's, that's the problem, right? It's, it's, for the blind man, it's, it's, it's a blindness, a physical blindness, and as we'll see, a spiritual blindness, but also suffering. And for us, it's the same thing. It's spiritual blindness and suffering. What is the solution? Point number two. Well, the actual healing of the blind man in this passage is quite brief, isn't it? Uh, it's, It's pretty brief. Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud. He anoints the man's eyes with the mud and tells him to go and wash. And the man washes and he's healed. He can see. Now, sheer curiosity makes me wonder what was going through this blind man's head when this was all happening. Um, I don't imagine he got what was going on. I mean, I don't think he was like, oh, what are you doing down there, Jesus? Are you making mud? Oh, put it on my eye. It'll, it'll heal me. I don't think that was his, his, uh, his reaction to it. In fact, I think he was probably a little confused. What? This man's touching my eyes with this mud. It's maybe gritty. Um, Whatever his reaction was, we don't know, we're not told. But we know what his response is, and that's more important, is that it gives way to obedience. And he goes and he trusts in the Lord, goes to the pool of Siloam and washes. Now there's a few details in the story that, that are a little, in, a little interesting. There's the making of the mud, and there's the pool of Siloam. And the interesting thing about both of them is that Jesus is really using, first for the mud, he's using a tactile sign for the man to experience. He's, he uses uh, his sense of touch to apply the mud. And with the pool of Siloam, he uses a verbal command, an audible command. And so really, he's using two senses that the man, can, that the man has, the sense of touch and of hearing, Um, and really, Jesus is sort of, seems to be catering this sign to the inabilities of the man. And I I think that's intentional. I think it's intentional because it allows the man to testify of the work of the Lord. If Throughout this whole passage, you'll see this man is testifying, testifying. He's saying, he's constantly recounting what God has done in his life. He's saying, he made mud, he, put it, he anointed my eyes, he told me to wash, and I washed. But God uses, but Jesus uses here his senses, touch, and his sense of hearing. So that he can say, he can testify and he can say, I know what God, I know what Jesus did, even though I didn't see it. 
he, I felt the mud that he placed in my eyes. And I heard him say, go and wash. Jesus makes, makes mud cakes, basically. He spits in the, on the ground and makes mud. Something that the Pharisees will use against him and discount the miracle, saying, well, Jesus made mud, so uh, he's not from God. He's a sinner. Um, Jesus makes mud, and I think it's, it, it's, it seems to be here a deliberately breaking of the Pharisees' regulations of the Sabbath. Many of the church, early church fathers see here, with Jesus using mud to heal this man, they see a connection here with Genesis 2-7, where God forms Adam from the dust of the ground. And what these church fathers see is this idea of this isn't a restorative act. Um, Remember, the guy is born blind. His eyes have never worked. He was born with dead eyes. Um, Instead of being a restorative act, it's a creative act. Where Jesus Jesus is literally giving him eyes to see. He's creating sight in him. And I think that's important as we see this really as a, a picture of the gospel. Another important detail that we shouldn't leave out is, is the fact that Jesus tells him to wash in the pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam, which, which means sent. John gives us the definition, and that's important. That's an important detail to point us back to the one who gives healing and who gives sight and that's the one sent from God, Jesus. It's a reminder of who's, who's ultimately healing him, and it's reflected at the end of the, of the passage we read in verse 17 where this man does claim, this man is from God. He is a prophet. The Pool of Siloam also represents the waters of regeneration, of rebirth, the waters of the Spirit, the waters that we're washed in um, to remove our spiritual blindness. This man's solution is uh, that he can now see. And we really do see the purpose in that. Um, Jesus is giving us a sign. In, In the book of John, John structures his gospel around these different signs that Jesus does. And this is actually the sixth sign. And he gives us why uh, why it is that Jesus has given us these signs. And it's that we would believe in Jesus, the Son of God. And so, really, it's, it's interesting that the purposes that we see in this man's suffering is ultimately that he is a forever testimony to the work of Christ um, not only on his behalf, but on all the saints following after him as he's in the word of the Lord. So that's his solution. He, uh, he can now see, and he now testifies. And we also see, and, and interestingly enough, we also see that even after his physical eyes are opened, 
he begins to see more clearly who Jesus is as we get to the end of the chapter. What is our solution to our spiritual blindness and suffering? Our solution is that we look to Jesus, who is the light of the world. We must be, again, confronted by the glory of God. Every time that man, especially we see this in the Old Testament scriptures, but also we see that with the disciples, but when they catch a glimpse of the glory of God, what is their reaction? Their reaction isn't, oh, hey, I'm over here. It's hide. (laughs) I need to hide because I'm unclean. I'm unworthy. I'm a sinner. So where do we see the glory of God? 2 Corinthians 4.6, Paul tells us that for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see the glory of God in Christ. When we're, when we're in utter darkness, we can't actually see uh, whether or not we're unclean. Um, if, if you do get physically dirty, I know when we, when we go uh, backpacking and get completely dirty, and it's nighttime, you can't see that you're dirty. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that you are dirty. But the moment that a light is turned on or the next day it comes, the sun comes up, you see very clearly how dirty you are. Um, and in the same way, when the light of the world shines in our hearts, we see that we are unclean, that we're blind. We, and, and the interesting thing is that it's, it's ironic, but it's when we actually realize that we're blind... That's when we see. And it's by looking to Jesus, who is the light of the world. Jesus is the one who enters into our suffering. He is the one who enters into this fallen world to save us from the darkness. And friends, Jesus being the light of the world, having no darkness in himself, took on the darkness of sin on the cross. Do you remember when Jesus is crucified and darkness comes over the crucifixion scene? Darkness pours over Golgotha. There's darkness in the tomb for three days, in the burial tomb. He is the one who took on our blindness in the darkness of the cross and in the burial tomb, took on the punishment of our darkness so that we never would. And the hope that we have is that Jesus is victorious over death and darkness. In the prologue of John's Gospel, he says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not 
overcome it. Jesus triumphed triumphed over the darkness. So how how does this comfort us in the midst of seemingly senseless suffering? What comfort does this give us? Well, this shows us, the gospel shows us, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can endure suffering in this life because we know that our suffering does not win the day. Jesus has overcome it. And while we live in this world that is yet full of suffering, God nevertheless calls us to suffer. We're not free from suffering. God calls us to suffer. But that suffering is not in vain. It's not senseless. We suffer because Christ suffered. And as we do, we're being molded and shaped to be more like Christ. And it's ultimately for His glory. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way. says that not a single hair can fall from our heads apart from the will of our Heavenly Father. And that all things, all things are subservient to our salvation. The mystery of God's providence, our suffering, the things that we undergo, are directly preparing us for glory. And He's working in us a work through suffering. That's really our hope, is that our hope is we can trust in Him because He has overcome, He overcame our suffering. Our story does not end in suffering, but it ends in victory because Christ overcame the darkness. Another thing that really is, is, is striking when we look back at this account and we see this healing Um, we see this progression of this man's understanding of Jesus that goes from after he's healed he says Jesus is a prophet later on he'll say he'll identify as one of Jesus disciples and then at the end of this chapter he actually makes a confession of faith And he says, Jesus asks him if he believes in the Son of God, the Son of Man. And he says, I believe. And he worships Jesus. And the thing that we we see from this is that even, uh, even when this man makes his confession, we see that this whole time, Jesus has been working in this life. A lot of times we, we can look back to our own conversion and think that we acted first. And we can say things like, well, it all started back in 1996 when I made a decision to follow Christ. Or I, made, uh, I invited Jesus into my heart and he's been there ever since. Uh, 
it, it, it's almost like we act first. But this passage shows us that even before we confess our faith in Christ, he's been working in us all along. And he's already plunged us into the waters of the Spirit, into the waters of Siloam. And he is the one who gave us eyes to see. And this is done so that no man can boast before God. No one can boast before God and say, I saw. Instead we say, I was blind. But he gave me eyes to see. As we conclude here, we really, in the story, we see our own blindness. We see that Jesus is the one who takes us out of this darkness and into his marvelous light. As a result, we can trust him even in the midst of seemingly senseless suffering. Even when life is hard. Let us then find joy and comfort in his salvation that has been guaranteed by the blood of Christ. As we come to the Lord's table, I think we're reminded of, you know, we can see a direct link here between this man's uh, life and our own life Um, as we come to the table. We're reminded that even though we were blind and pitiable and wretched, Jesus saw us and he loved us and we were washed and given sight. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So not only as we come to the table do we feed on Christ's uh, body spiritually, but we also proclaim and boast in His body and blood, broken and shed for us. Let us then boast in the Lord. Let's pray.